At Speedway, we've always been here to get you what you need when you need it. We're committed to keeping our stores open, clean, and safe, so you can stay fueled and refreshed all summer long. We've got cold drinks for hot days and frozen drinks for even hotter ones, plus energy boosts, quick bites, and pick-me-ups. We're always on your way, and we're always here for you. So no matter what you need, when you stop by, we'll be ready. Now buy any three cooler beverages and get 500 bonus Speedy Rewards points. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. The microphone would have helped. I was talking to everybody on Periscope and Twitter before the show, not realizing my mic was uh, behind my uh, monitor. Um, good afternoon. Happy Friday. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. We have a great show in store. Um, we have a guest that will be joining us later in the hour. But first up on this Friday, we like to start the show off as we do every beginning of the Leslie Marshall show. Uh, here with me, your host, Leslie Marshall. Uh, let's uh, kick it off and check what is ripped. I don't know about you. I retweeted this today. This really bothered me. Uh, Vice President Pence hailed, quote, truly remarkable progress, even though here in the United States, we have seen record new COVID-19 cases. The vice president held his first coronavirus task force briefing in nearly two months. He opened the briefing by heralding the progress made in hard hit states like New York and New Jersey. He said, we have made truly remarkable progress in moving our nation forward. Uh, and you know how people always say, oh, look, it's the Democratic leaders. Both states have Democratic leaders and their numbers are lower now. New York is one of the lowest numbers, if not the lowest numbers in cases because they did things slowly. But then the vice president shifted to noting the high level of new cases in many parts of the country. The president has sought to downplay those in recent days. And I think the vice president downplayed them today as well because he celebrated, quote, the very encouraging news that roughly half of cases now are among those under 35. He noted younger Americans are less susceptible to the serious outcomes of this virus. And we don't really know that because we haven't had as many people under 35 getting the virus. He echoed the president. Uh, blaming the rising number of new corona cases on increased testing. He said it's almost inarguable that more testing is generating more cases. Um, what? Yeah, the CDC does not agree with that. Dr. Fauci doesn't even agree with that. Um, and public health experts said the rising number of cases is actually more attributed to states reopening. And Americans, you know what? You put a seatbelt on. You put your shirt and shoes on before going into a bar or restaurant. Put your damn mask on. Grow up. Suck it up. Do it for a little while. It doesn't hurt. Oh, my God, my rights are being taken away. Oh, shut up. Just want to slap Come on, do it. The reason that you're, you know, your businesses are going to close again or close forever. The reason Florida can't reopen, Texas can't reopen. The reason we're having spikes. California, it's not because we did it too fast. It's because 
People just didn't listen, did what they wanted. It's not about you. We, this is a societal issue, a worldwide societal issue. And when we say we are all in this together, that's what it means. Put your damn mask on for my kid. And my kid will have their damn mask on for you. As I will too. Because we don't know if we're carriers. We don't know how far in the air it lasts. We don't know how long it lives in the air on surfaces. We know if you sneeze, it can reach 20 plus feet. I mean, come on. Do you really? I don't know about you. I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the bunker of my home, if you will. I don't want my kids home forever. I, I don't want to not be able to see and hug my friends and family. Do you? My mom's 80 years old. I haven't seen her since Christmas because I don't want to put her at risk because I could. She lives in Boston. I could get on a plane and catch something and be asymptomatic and kill her with a hug or a cough or some spit when I talk. And it happens a lot. We don't even notice it. We're noticing it now more. Put the mask on. Let's stop this. New Zealand had zero cases until the other day when two Americans got on a plane and went there. And now they are being quarantined and they have infected some other people. It's not going to stop unless we become responsible. That is the bottom line. Um, uh, echoing the president, like I said, the vice president blamed the rising number of corona cases on the increased testing. But like I said, public health experts poo-pooed that. It's also important to note the coronavirus hospitalizations are rising in many states. The rate of new cases has actually outpaced increased testing in many states. That indicates the crisis is worsening. It doesn't indicate that it's because of more testing. And disconcertingly, in the past two weeks, more than 10 states have reported increases in both new cases and positivity rates. And they are most pronouncing Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas. And by the way, what do they all have in common? Republican politicians running their states. And the states are all doing more testing than in previous weeks. But if the infection rate were holding steady, we'd expect the positivity rate to at least stay level. And that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing record numbers rising. And, and that states are finding more cases relative to the amount of tests they are conducting provides the strongest rebuttal to the administration's assertion that case, num case numbers are rising because we're getting better at finding cases through increased testing. Well, actually, the data tells us the opposite, that each of the states needs to do even more testing to find infections, followed by more rigorous contact uh, uh, contact tracing and isolation. If states are failing to control their case numbers, they should reopen more slowly and be sure that people are adhering to social distancing rec recommendations. You know, I don't like wearing the, the mask. I was waiting for my ride outside. My tire blew out. There was some glass or a nail in the road. And uh, I, I had to leave my car there so I could get here to do the show. And a friend of mine, you know, picked me up. A friend of mine who's doing some Uber and Lyft driving actually for extra money. And I waited for her with my mask on and I was sweating. My mask, you know, I have a few of them, but one of them is, this one was black, it's cloth. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm sweating. There was no shade where I was waiting for her. So what? Do you know what I mean? So what? I'm not starving. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get over wearing a mask. Wah. Vice President Mike Pence claimed that hospital capacity remains strong and very, very broadly available, but that is not true. And I'm tired. Don't, you, you want to, you know what? You want to build hope and you want, you don't want to fear monger. I get it. But you absolutely just cannot lie to the American people when a number of hospitals in Florida, 
a number of hospitals in Texas are nearing full capacity in their ICU as the states grapple with a surge in new cases. The vice president also encouraged Americans to take comfort in the fact that fatalities are declining. Dr. Anthony Fauci, however, testified before the House earlier this week that the number of coronavirus deaths often lies behind the number of new cases. So the death toll may still sharply rise in the weeks to come. As the country reports a record high level of new cases, the vice president said, quote, the reality is we're in a much better place than we were two months ago, striking a noticeably different tone than Vice President Mike Pence. Dr. Fauci warned some parts of the country are actually facing a serious problem in terms of the spread of coronavirus. The infectious disease expert applauded the states that have safely reopened their economies in a prudent way that's been effective. New York is an example. But he ominously added, quote, we are facing a serious problem in certain areas. He expressed sympathy with Americans who have become exhausted with social distancing restrictions, but he emphasized everyone has a responsibility. Hear him, hear me, hear the science, hear the medical professionals. Everyone has a responsibility to limit the spread of the virus. Dr. Robert Redfield, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, encouraged those under 40 to practice social distancing, to protect people who aren't under 40 and who are more vulnerable than you, you selfish blankety blanks. Redfield specifically encouraged young Americans to wear masks, echoing in an earlier, look, look, I am not 20 anymore. When I was in my 20s, I thought I was invincible. And I know a lot of you out there who are 20, even 30, think you're invincible. You're not. I know there are people out there, Sammy Hagar, I will never go to your Cabo Wabo again. And I'll think twice about any song you sing with Van Halen after saying, hey, let's face it, we're all going to die. Well, you can go first, sir. I got more living to do. I want my children to live. I want my 80-year-old mother who still looks hot and is vibrant and was doing yoga and, and, and enjoying her beginning of retirement years, believe it or not, at 80. You know, I want her to live. We want our loved ones to live. I don't want to sacrifice our loved ones for the economy. I'm sorry. If you want to sacrifice your loved ones for the economy, go ahead. I'm not going to stand in your way. You go ahead. You want your mommy and granddaddy and papa and, and kids and spouse to die. That's on you. I don't want that for you. You want that for you, fine. But don't do that to me because that's not what I want for me and my family. Uh, Fauci expressed sympathy with Americans who have become exhausted with social distancing restrictions, but he emphasized everyone has a responsibility to limit the spread of the virus. Anne Frank and her family stayed in an attic for two years to avoid death by the Nazis. They ended up dying. They extended their life for two years. She was a little girl. She wrote a diary. She didn't whine about it. She wasn't happy about it. You can do this. Are we really, if we're really the biggest nation in the world, the strongest, we're not the biggest actually, China has a larger population, but if we're the strongest nation in the world, then act it, be strong. If you can't wear a mask, you're a wimp. I'm sorry, seriously, man up, woman up, put the damn mask on. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines right now. We'll come back to more ripped after this before our guest joins us in the second half of the hour here on the only true democracy and talk. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. And 
and we are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. And we welcome you back to a second uh, portion of Ripped uh, from the headlines. No? No Ripped? From- okay, thanks. Um, in the midst of uh, speaking to the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic, despite this pandemic, the Trump administration is urging to end the Affordable Care Act in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. What? The Trump administration yesterday urged the Supreme Court to overturn the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, ACA. The administration's latest high court filing came the same day that the government reported that close to half a million people who lost their health insurance amid the economic shutdown to slow the spread of COVID-19, have gotten coverage through healthcare.gov. The administration's legal brief makes no mention of the virus. Some 20 million Americans could lose their health coverage. And by the way, this is just stupid politically. It's, it's political suicide. Some 20 million Americans could lose their health coverage and protections for people with pre-existing health conditions. And this is another example on, on how the president cares about his re-election, as John Bolton said, cares more about his re-election than he does your health, cares more about the economy because it would help his re-election, cares more about a vindictive vendetta that he has with President Obama for some reason and trying to undo everything Barack Obama and the Obama administration did and the Affordable Care Act is one uh, such example. I mean, why on earth would you want 20 million plus, 20 million, excuse me, plus Americans to lose their health coverage and protections for people with pre-existing health conditions um, why would you want to do that before an election in November? I mean, I'm sorry. It's not just political suicide. It's stupid. It's stupid. Um, so it would also put uh, be, people uh, with the pre-existing health conditions would also be put at risk if the court agrees with the administration in a case uh, that won't be heard before the fall. But certainly the knowledge of the case to be heard um, after could get people to vote uh, against, not for, the president who want those um, conditions to be covered, those pre-existing conditions, or who want to be able to have insurance via healthcare.gov, the Affordable Care Act. Now, in the case before the Supreme Court, Texas and other conservative-led states argued that the ACA was essentially rendered unconstitutional after Congress passed tax legislation back in 2017 because that eliminated the laws on popular fines for not having health insurance but left in place its requirement that virtually all Americans have coverage. After failing to repeal Obamacare in 2017, when Republicans fully controlled Congress, the president put the weight of his administration behind the legal challenge. And if you remember, even to this day, Republicans don't have an alternative. They want to take away this plan, but they don't have another one to present and offer to you. If the health insurance requirement is invalidated, then it necessarily follows that the rest of the ACA must also fall. That's what Solicitor General Noel Francisco wrote yesterday. The Trump administration's views on what parts of the ACA might be kept or replaced if the law is overturned have shifted over time. But in legal arguments, it has always supported getting rid of Obamacare provisions that prohibit insurance companies from discriminating against people on account of their medical history. Nonetheless, Trump has repeatedly assured Americans that people with pre-existing conditions would still be protected. Neither the White House nor congressional Republicans have specified how. Like I said, there's no alternatives, no plan, right? The new signups for healthcare coverage come from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the figures are partial because they don't include signups from states that run their own health insurance marketplaces. Those are states like California, where I'm sitting right now, New York. Uh, They're not counted, by the way, in the federal statistics. Hmm. Do you think that would add a few million more? California and New York, two of the most populated states. An estimated 27 million people may have lost their job-based coverage due to layoffs 
because of the pandemic. It's unclear what, if anything, they're going to turn to as a fallback. And people who lose employer health care are eligible for a special sign-up period for subsidized plans under the Obama-era law. Many may also qualify for Medicaid. The report yesterday from the government showed that almost half a million, 487,000 people signed up with healthcare.gov, half a million approximately, approximately, losing after losing their workplace coverage this year. How much of an increase is that from the same time period last year? 46%. Unbelievable. You don't take, shouldn't be taking away. You should be building and expanding upon that as former vice president yeah. and Democratic nominee Joe Biden has suggested. Let's rip another. Well, American workers still aren't protected from the coronavirus. Essential workers have borne the brunt of the coronavirus pandemic for months, but the U.S. is still doing relatively little to protect them. Why does this matter? Well, with no end to the pandemic in sight, America's frontline workers still must choose between risking their health and losing their source of income. Got to put myself at risk because I got to feed my family, right? And the Trump administration said this week that health insurers aren't required to cover coronavirus diagnostic tests performed as part of workplace safety or public health surveillance efforts. It didn't say who is supposed to pay for these tests. If employers are stuck footing the bill, that makes the testing less likely to happen because a lot of these employers can't afford it. And the big picture here is there's been no national effort or initiative to protect essential workers, and America is still failing to implement basic public health measures. New cases uh, skyrocket now. Masks, they've become a political flashpoint and aren't required in many of the states that are emerging coronavirus hotspots. And then you have the president and vice president not wearing one and leading by example, right? And then Tulsa. And then how many people now in the Trump administration have tested positive or quarantining in place because they were all not wearing masks and around each other? And what does this mean? Well, it means essential workers go to work each day without any guarantee that the people they're interacting with will take one of the most basic and effective steps to prevent transmission of the virus. And no one's even talking about mass distribution of personal protective equipment, PPE, beyond healthcare workers. Even some healthcare workers, particularly those who work in nursing homes, they don't have the protective gear that they need. And the population they're taking care of is extremely vulnerable, as we've seen the deaths uh, not just cases of uh, infection, but deaths in nursing homes nationwide. More broadly, the financial incentives for frontline workers, particularly those who are low income to keep working, make it nearly impossible for them to avoid health risks. At least 69 million American workers are potentially ineligible for the emergency paid leave benefits that Congress passed earlier this year. That data is per the Kaiser Family Foundation. An estimated 25 million to 30 million people, particularly low-wage workers and service industries, they're unable to work from home. Um, also face a high risk of severe infection because they can't work from home, so they're interacting with more people, okay? Um, what do we need to look at? The line between essential workers and those who are required to return to the office by their employer, well, that's become blurred. Millions of Americans are facing dilemmas similar to those faced by grocers, bus drivers. The sickest and thus most vulnerable. Americans may feel the, the, the most pressure to return to work, those people that are most vulnerable, and that's what's uh, other than those who are seniors and not working and retired. That's often where they get their health insurance at work. That makes them more vulnerable going to work. They need the insurance. It's it, it, it's the chasing the tail here. You know, nearly a quarter of adult workers are vulnerable to severe coronavirus infections. And the bottom line here is essential workers and the families will continue to feel the impact of this failure in our system to deal with coronavirus most acutely. Let's rip another. 
And after Governor Roy Cooper issued a mandatory mask requirement across North Carolina two days ago, amid rising COVID cases there and hospitalizations in that state, several sheriffs publicly said they would not enforce the mandate when it goes into effect Friday. If you don't want, I just hope and pray that people that are so stubborn and think it's a hoax and don't want to get it, get it. I don't want you to die. I want you to suffer. Sorry. I want you to suffer so you understand what others are going through. But you know who's suffering? Healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals and the healthcare system that you're helping to place a burden on with this selfish, irresponsible behavior and attitude. That's Mama talking. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll take a break. Back to our guest in you right after this. We are back and I'm so pleased to have with us today, Dr. Bob Bollinger. Uh, Dr. Bob Bollinger likes to be called Bob. I'll call him that for the rest of the uh, program. He told me that before. He is the Raj and Kamla Gupta Professor of Infectious Disease at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He holds joint appointments in International Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in Community Public Health at the John Hopkins School of Nursing. He is founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, CCGHE, and the center is doing a lot of COVID-19 related work here in the United States and beyond our borders. Uh, Their website is main.ccghe.net. That's main.ccghe.net. On Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash ccghe. More than a pleasure uh, to have with us Dr. Bob Bollinger. Uh, Dr. Bob, or Bob, thank you for joining us this afternoon and, and for taking the time. I know you're very busy, sir, and I appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Welcome. Thank you, Leslie. Nice to be here. We have seen uh, new COVID-19 cases here in the United States. Uh, We have seen surges and numbers that hit single day records in the states of Texas and Florida. Uh, They're reclosing places like bars that they had originally uh, opened. When you just look as a physician uh, from a medical and scientific uh, point of view, um, when we look at New York's numbers came down, Texas and Florida are surging. Is it fair to say just with common sense? And then you add the medical and scientific data They opened too soon and people were too lax with not wearing masks and social distancing. Can this be attributed to this surge? Oh, look, this is a respiratory virus. So none of us should be surprised that the virus spreads in situations where people come in close contact with each other and they don't wear masks. Um, And those situations were uh, were developing in in some of the hotspots now um, as New York and Maryland and Massachusetts and Connecticut and New Jersey were all um, you know, uh, be- beginning to wear masks. In fact, if you look at the surveys um, around the country, a lot more people were wearing masks in those northeastern states than they are in, in other states. Um, and uh, so, look, the virus doesn't doesn't care whether we wear masks or not. But if we do, we're, we're less likely to transmit to others. And so, I think there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about why we wear masks. Uh, yeah, I I would like you to share. Uh, with our audience, although some uh, do understand, why do we and why should we wear masks? Oh, because we care about other people. I mean, this is uh, we don't want to share our virus uh, in- intentionally or unintentionally with others. Um, the mask is primarily protect, um, you know, protect you from me and you protect uh, me from you. Uh, and so if, if people understood that, I think it's um, there may be some benefit uh, 
to to ourselves, but the primary benefit is because so we don't spread it to others. And you know what we're seeing now in, in the South is a lot of young people getting infected with with mild uh, symptoms. They may may not even realize they're transmitting it. And if they're not wearing a mask, everybody they come in contact with is at risk. We know that the U.S. reported 39,972 daily cases of uh, coronavirus yesterday. That's a new daily record, and that's according to uh, your organization, Johns Hopkins, or, you know, where you are, a physician. Um, you know, viruses, many people have said, are seasonal, and we are entering summer. Is it fair to say that coronavirus is not a typical virus because we're entering summer, and people talk about coronavirus coming back, but we haven't gotten rid of it. We haven't eradicated it even for the first go around? No, look, uh, you know, this is a once in a century event. I mean, there, we, we haven't had a, uh, a virus like this uh, before. And so, um, you know, our assumptions about how it would behave, I think we're learning um, the virus have, you know, virus is gonna decide for itself. We're, we're learning how it's gonna spread. You know, there was initially thoughts that, well, maybe in, in, in warmer climates it won't spread as fast. But that turns out not to be the case. You see what's happening in India and Brazil and other parts of the world. You see what's happening in the southern United States and Arizona and Florida. Um, it's all about coming in close contact with each other without masks. And in those, and the more people that come in close contact with each other without masks, the more it's going to spread. That's the primary driver. It's a respiratory virus. That's how it spreads. And as long as there's fuel for the fire, as long as there are people out there who are vulnerable, it's going to continue to spread. There are some people that point to countries like Norway or just, you know, Darwin's survival of the the fittest when you talk about herd immunity. Um, as a physician, what are your thoughts on that? Because there are some people that say, let us just get it. Let us get to that 70 plus percent mark uh, and, and then move forward. That would be irresponsible as a society and as a medical professional uh, on a societal level, wouldn't it? That would result in millions of deaths and many millions of hospitalizations which has, you know, incalculable cost. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it's worth that cost. In fact, I know it's not worth that cost. Uh, so we don't want to, and we would, overall, we would overwhelm the healthcare system. Like, you know, we saw what happened in New York, parts of New Jersey, Boston, even parts of Baltimore for a while, where we were just getting overrun and having difficulty keeping up with the, the demand. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same thing in Houston. We're seeing the same thing in starting to happen in Miami. You know, if we let this thing just go, we're not going to have enough doctors, hospitals, and ICU beds to care for all the sick. Mm -hmm. So the risk of death goes up, right? Uh, the, the risk that people who have this disease is going to die will go up if we can't care for them properly. The CDC has said, and the director of the CDC, Robert Redfield, that the actual number of infections is probably 10 times the number of reported cases. Why is that? Is that because we had far less testing at the beginning of this? Or is it also because for some people it just mimics flu-like symptoms and, you know, they weren't reported or looking at coronavirus when we didn't really know what it was? It might be a combination of both. I think um, what he's talking about is they did antibody testing. Um, uh, from blood banks and other repositories around the country sampling uh, different um, places and found a high prevalence, well, relatively high prevalence. I think it was about 8%, something like that overall. It still means that, you know, 90% of the population is still at, at risk, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly. And so uh, it's a large number, but it's probably because a lot of people, as you said, were asymptomatic, didn't know they had it, or they might have been symptomatic and never got tested. Why do you think, I have two children, one's 12 and I'm 
God help me having a teenager start on Sunday. My son turns 13. Why do you think that children, and they're not exempt from this, but it's almost like the virus, you know, hits the very young and kind of jumps over them and then starts into, you know, the teens and, and so forth. What, why do you think that children aren't as affected or, or, or asymptomatic, even if they get COVID-19? Uh, so it's been shown here and in other countries abroad as well. Yeah, I'm not sure we really know why. Um, certainly, I, sh- I think we need to be sure that we are clear. It's not that children are necessarily less infectable. They're not letting, you know, they still get infected. They just don't get as sick. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the challenges is because, as we just said, if if kids and young people get sick, get infected, but don't get sick, they just spread it among each other. Yeah. And and eventually some of those same kids, friends, relatives, people they come in contact with, are eventually going to get in contact with grandparents, parents, neighbors, you know, people they, they, they see in the in the stores and they're going to spread that infection to others who are going to get sick. Um, but we don't actually know why yet why kids are um less susceptible. Although, look, there are other infections where we know children uh, do better than adults. And it's clear that the older you are and the more underlying conditions you might have, the higher your risk for getting really sick. And kids tend to be generally healthier. So many, so many questions. I have. If you were to advise uh, the governors of Florida, Texas, even where I live here in California, um, when do you think it's safe for a state uh, to reopen? What, you know, what kind of benchmarks as a physician do you look at and w- would you advise them to? I mean, do you think kids going back to school in the fall is a good idea or does it depend where that school is? I think it depends where the school is. I just uh, I think, uh, you know, the benchmarks that most of us are using is, uh, include things like the percentage of positive tests. So if the percentage of tests that you that you do are low and, and the cutoff that we're using right now is about five percent or less, um, that uh, tells us that we're doing a lot of testing and fewer uh, of those tests are positive, that, that reflects a lower burden on the community. But if, on the other hand, if the percentage of positive tests go up, that means either we're not doing a lot of testing. Early on, we, we had a high prevalence because the only people we tested were the sick because we didn't have enough tests. Now that we have a lot of tests, hopefully we're testing more broadly and we can monitor that percentage. And if that percentage goes down, that's great. If that percentage goes up as it's, it's happening in the states we just talked about, uh, that's a problem. I mean, you can see the same um, in, in in Europe. This is not unique. This this phenomenon is not unique to the United States. It happens. It's happening all over the world. So the percentage of positive tests is is a good metric. And I think the the percentage of hospitalizations is another good metric. And the number of of, of tests per day. Those are the things I look at. Um, remember, when we're looking at things like hospitalization and death from this disease. People that were infected or diagnosed today, they were infected a week ago. They're not getting tested until today. The people that are in the hospital today, they were infected two or three weeks ago and are now sick in the hospital. So we're we're, we're looking at a snapshot that's backward. People that are dying today, the deaths we're seeing today, are people that have been sick for weeks sometimes. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with you, Dr. Bob. Uh, We'll be back with our guests. We'll be back with you and me, Leslie Marshall, uh, more talking about COVID-19 and the surges that we're seeing in different states and uh, just getting scientific medical expertise, uh, not political expertise. We'll be back right after this. 
We are back with Dr. Bob Bollinger. He is the Rajan Conley Professor of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and has joint appointments, as I mentioned earlier, in International Health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in Community Public Health at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Founding Director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, CCGHE. They do a lot of COVID-19 related work. Their website is main.ccghe.net. Their Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash CCGHE. Dr. Bob, uh, thank you for holding. uh, Welcome back. Um, Talking about uh, the surges, you know, I know that you don't have a crystal ball. No one does. But and actually, before I get to that question, we talked about how different this virus is. And my husband, I think I'd share with you off the air is he's a physician, although he doesn't work with COVID. He's an orthopedic surgeon. But he was talking about how it, it, it attacks cells. Can you maybe just you know, in layperson uh, medical terminology, explain to people how this does differ from the flu. Because you know how people say, well, people die from the flu. We don't have to shelter in place. Why is COVID not only so different, but so perplexing for a lot of scientists and and the medical community um, with how it behaves uh, with we as humans? Well, I mean, uh, the thing that's been challenging, I think, uh, is is not been how it behaves in its transmission. It's a respiratory virus like the flu. It go, It's traveling through the air. But it's how it affects the body, I think, that's been challenging, how it, it makes so many more people sick. I mean, the, the death rate for coronavirus is about 10 times the death rate for, for flu. I mean, we generally have about 25,000 deaths from flu every year in the United States. We're getting 20 to 25,000 deaths every month from this virus. So it's it's something different about the way this virus is affecting the body. Number one, uh, the virus has on its surface this this spike, people call it. It's it's what looks like the corona or the crown uh, when you look at another microscope. That spike is, uh, think of it as a a way a, a key fits into a lock. It locks itself into the cells within our respiratory tract, in our nose and our throat. So it's very sticky. It can stick right to those cells and it can cause um, infection pretty efficiently. And then once it gets in the body, um, it causes uh, a lot of people pneumonia. So they not only can get, you know, the the usual symptoms of a flu, but they can get a really severe pneumonia. And it seems to be a more aggressive type of pneumonia than uh, the regular flu does. And finally, it really revs up our immune system. Our body tries to fight off infections, all of them. And in this particular case, um, sometimes the body is triggered to mount a, a strong immune response and begins to attack our cells. So you've heard about the kids, for example, that have what's called hyperinflammation syndrome. Yes. Um, and you've heard about people who get better and then all of a sudden get a lot worse and end up in the hospital. Uh, a lot of that is driven by our own body's immune system being revved up by this virus in ways we don't fully understand. Um, as, a, as a matter of fact, you may have some people may have heard recently there was a a study out of Britain that suggested that the drug dexamethasone yes. might provide benefit and reduce the risk of death in some people with severe disease. Well, that dexamethasone is a steroid. It suppresses the immune system. Yeah. So it looks like in some of those people, if we can suppress the immune system, we can reduce that inflammation that we're talking about. But we really don't yet understand why the virus does what it does. But those are the big, big problems we have to face. Speaking of not understanding, and certainly there's a lot of um, research that continues with this, um, to, to the best of your knowledge, where do we stand with knowing if somebody can be effect, infected more than once or if they are you know, immune to it once they've had COVID and survived it? We don't know that yet, Leslie. Um, and we still have a lot to learn about that. I think um, uh, 
you know, look, we, we know about this. We, there are seven coronaviruses that have affected humans, right? Um, three of them in the last 20 years have caused pandemics, SARS, MERS, and now this one. The other four cause a common cold every year. And we've had them in our human populations for years. But guess what? You know, people get colds every year, sometimes from the same coronaviruses. So if this behaves like other coronaviruses, we may get some immunity, but it may not be long lasting. Um, we just have to wait and see what the vaccine trials tell us. I think we'll learn a lot as well from these studies that are using what's called convalescent plasma, where you take the antibodies from people that recovered and you give it to people that are at, at sick or infected and you see if that makes them better. If it does make them better, if, for instance, giving plasma to people reduces their likelihood of getting sick, that's a good sign for antibodies, right? That, that tells us something that at least something in that plasma is helping those patients, and hopefully it's the antibodies, and hopefully it's those antibodies that will help protect people who uh, from getting reinfected for some time, and perhaps is going to protect people with a vaccine from getting infected or getting sick. One um, of my neighbors is, yeah, one of my neighbors is an ER doc, and he was saying, so correct me if I'm wrong, I'm quoting him. <laughs> He said, we don't know if this will come back once we, you know, get the vaccine and, and live with it. He goes, SARS didn't come back. Is that correct? Is that accurate? SARS was a one-time thing? SARS was a one-time thing. Um, it wasn't as infectious as this virus, so it didn't spread as much as quickly. Um, uh, it was a very lethal virus. It killed, unfortunately, a lot of people, but there were only about 8,000 cases in the world. So it didn't, fortunately, didn't spread as quickly, as easily as this one. What are the chances that, I mean, why, why do you think uh, SARS came around once and didn't come back and other viruses, uh, you know, do come back and have? Well, I think this is because it wasn't as easily transmitted as this one. This virus, as we talked about, has characteristics that make it very likely sticky, you know, right? It sticks to yeah. nasal passages. It's easy to transmit uh, easier than some other viruses. So do you think that if, if you had to go to Vegas, <laughs> that this is going to be something that's going to be with us uh, for a long time into the future in our lives? I, I will uh, be able to place that bet in about four to five months once I see the results of the vaccine trials and the, the plasma studies, because if they show benefit, then I'm, I'm going to be more optimistic in my bet. If they don't, then I'm going to be more pessimistic in my bet. Are you concerned with the speed at which they are developing a vaccine? You know, it usually takes 12 to 18 months to have a, a vaccine. Do you, do you think that the length of time is enough for the amount of research and, and, and trials that normally go into a vaccine before it's released to the public? Um, I'm not concerned because I, I, I have a lot of confidence. I know a lot of the people involved in these studies. I've been involved in, in vaccine work myself in the past. I know how rigorous it has to be. Uh, the world record for developing a vaccine is four years for the mumps vaccine. Wow. Um, so if we're able to pull this off, this will be a new world record. But we are really investing a, a just incredible amount of effort and, and um, investment in getting this done quickly. And we're doing things carefully and well, but really a lot faster than we normally would do it. Um, and I, and I, I think I'm, I'm optimistic we're going to get uh, if we get a vaccine that works, we're going to get it uh, out there uh, much sooner than we would otherwise. And I think, it, and we're going to be sure it's safe. We have to be sure it's safe. Yeah, we certainly absolutely. don't want to give a vaccine to millions or billions of people that's going to make them sick. We yeah, want to have benefit. Yeah. Dr. Fauci, Anthony Fauci, the top infectious disease expert at the uh, NIH National Institutes of Health, he told Congress earlier this week that the next two weeks will be critical in how the country addresses the surge in states like Florida, Texas, Arizona 
Uh, do you agree with that? And and what are we looking at as far as um, how we address the surge in the next two weeks uh, in states like that? Well, uh, listen, I've known Tony Fauci for a long time, and there are very few people on the planet that know more about this than he does. And so I think all of us should be listening with the, to what Tony Fauci says about this. Um, so I think the next two weeks he's talking about uh, has to do with, you know, states like Florida and uh, and Arizona and Texas are if they're able to mitigate as quickly they're beginning. You're beginning to see this now. They're shutting down the the the, the bars and the, some of the restaurants. They're they're backtracking a bit and beginning to mitigate. If they're able to do that effectively, they have about a two to three week window. Otherwise, it's going to take off like uh, like it has in other parts of the country and continue to go up. Yeah, because we can learn from like you look at New Zealand, they had zero, they get to the point they had zero cases, zero hospitalizations. Um, and then they had two American women go in. <laughs> they had no more, no more COVID and two American women went in who were testing positive and, you know, could have infected the entire population. Um, so uh, we, we can learn from other countries, New Zealand and others that have taken the proper precautions to this this is beatable if we do the right thing, right? Oh, look, the European Union's done it. They have, look, we have 350 million people in this country. European Union, 27 countries, 450 million people, lots of diverse countries and leadership. And their peak was around the same time of our, as ours, and they have gone straight down. As a, And we've we've gone up, and now we're going up, going down, and now we're going up again. And it's because they were able to implement these strategies. We've talked the simple strategies that we've talked about. You know, reduce the amount, the the, uh, uh, the number of people getting in close contact with each other. Restrict that size of these uh, these gatherings. Use masks, and the communities are pulling together. And and look, they they were right where we are. Thirty thousand cases a day in Europe, right where we were. Um, you know, back when New York was peaking, we went down. Now we're back up clo- over thirty thousand a day, and they're going straight down. I think they have. In Europe now, less than 10,000 cases a day, maybe 5,000 cases a day in the whole European Union. I could talk to you all day, doctor. I'd love to have you come back on the show uh, again. Um, And I I hope you can make the time to do that. Thank you very much for being with us today and for taking the time. It's been very educational and informative. And I I know that our listeners and viewers enjoyed enjoyed it greatly as well. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie. Okay. Dr. Bob Bollinger, like I said, founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education. Go to their website, main.ccghe.net, and check them out. Like their Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash ccghe. I'm Leslie Marshall. Thank you to Marky Mark Grimaldi, my executive producer. Have a wonderful weekend. And next time I talk to you, I will be the mother of a teenager, and I hope to survive. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000, playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well... 
we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com.